you're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our series called End Time Church. Um, Jimmy dawned on me this morning when it was advertised. that's a big, big title, End Time Church, uh, that the team created for me. Appreciate that. It kind of feels a little bit um, over-promise, under-deliver. So we're going to start uh, gentle tonight, if that's okay, and then build up uh, to the seventh talk, which Josh will do. <laughs> and he'll tell you all about how do we survive in the end times. And so excited about that. I want to encourage you. Um, we had two services this morning. They're fantastic. And there were peace services. And we, we're in a series for the whole year looking at First Corinthians. And actually, um, this series ties in really, really well with that. So if it's your habit to come on an evening, then please um, check out the podcast for the First Corinthians talks. It just fits in really, really well. So... Um, Book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, guy called John, uh, chapter one, Um, he's been kind of exiled to a horrible island called Patmos, Um, think Alcatraz, not Seychelles, and um, things aren't going well under persecution, in fact most of the um, kind of disciples, uh, people who came to faith uh, in that time uh, were martyred for uh, faith in Jesus and and so John is there on this island and he has he has a vision he's a really well, we'll look at chapter one um, at some point but beautiful vision of of Jesus the risen Lord Jesus and um, and Jesus speaks to John um, a bunch of messages for seven literal actual churches and for the next seven weeks, we're going to go through each of these churches and see what Jesus has to say to these churches. And as we do that, it's going to help us work out what exactly should our priorities be as the church, as 21st century followers of Christ. So turn to Revelation chapter 2. If you have a Bible, Revelation chapter 2. I encouraged um, the church uh, this morning. Uh, we are a church. If you need a Bible, we'll give you one. Okay, we do have Bibles in the church. Uh, if you want to borrow one, there's a load at the back there. Uh, I always think it's best to actually have paper, Bible. Uh, it's too tempting for me just to kind of swipe to your favorite website um, whilst you're on your, on your phone. So Revelation 2, starting at verse 1, to so the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, These are the words of him holds the seven stars in his right hand, walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships by name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise 
of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's truth, that it's life, that is uh, that our daily bread, food for our soul. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us tonight, that we would hear your voice behind the word, and Lord, we would be forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a hard-hitting passage, right? It's a confrontative passage. It's kind of like a lot of um, un-PC language right here, particularly for our culture. And it's really interesting to see Jesus' perspective on the church. Um, I've always seen perspective is either your prison or your passport. And so how we look at things is really, really important. You can have two people going through exactly the same stuff and have two completely different perspectives on what they're going through. And in life, um, our perspective, of course, is important, how we view things, view ourselves, view people, view our life. But actually, God's perspective is the most important perspective. Um, Have you ever watched Undercover Boss? Anyone put your hand up? Of course, it's a safe place, church. You can confess your sin. Um, Boss, obviously, I mean, it's in the title. The boss works undercover and really sees how the company functions uh, without people knowing that he is, you know, the boss, the CEO, the executive. And kind of similarly, it's as though Jesus is... He's like the undercover boss. He's like on the factory floor. Or you could argue he's actually sat in, I know we have chairs, but pews. He's sat in the pews of the church and he's looking around. And he wants to say something to the church. And, and I think Jesus is actually less undercover and he's more the unmissable Lord in all his glory as we see in Revelation chapter 1. He's sat in the control room of the universe, looking, peering at his church, beautiful bride that he's coming back for. And so this is Jesus patrolling the church and giving his perspective. I uh, kind of liken it to uh, Top Trumps. Remember Top Trumps, anyone? Okay. Um, Top trumps, you're playing the game, you, you, you may have Superman, you may have Batman, and, and it says about how good are you at flying, score it out of 100, of course, Superman will always trump uh, Batman. And I often think um, if, if God was kind of doing top trumps about the card, what would he have at the top of the list of what's most important? And you may think, is it how a church looks you know the team have done an incredible job with the ascetics preparing for three services it's beautiful but is the church building really what God is interested in when it comes to looking at the church is it um, popularity is it numbers is it um, signs and wonders the worship the style the branding social media the communication the length of prayers the amount of food parcels we give out the amount of people come to faith amount of healings we see, um, the coffee, the fair trade, kingdom coffee. I mean, what is, how is Jesus ranking the church? Just think top trumps. How's he, right? I, also like a, a report card. I don't know about you, but back in the day, and it's the same with actually our kids right now, is they come home with their end of term school report and it's from one to nine. Back in the day, it was like A to E. 
And it was always demoralizing that I got, you know, A for effort and like D for attainment. <laughs> like, throw me a bone, I'm trying my best. And um, still got a D. And I dreaded mine. And I often wonder if, if, if Jesus was kind of writing a report card on our church, the whole vineyard church, what would he have to say about us? And in the book of Revelation over these seven churches, it's as though Jesus is writing his report card through his perspective, his lens, about these churches. It's a real mixed bag. Some have got A for effort, but D for attainment. Some have got D for effort, A for attainment. It's a real, real mixed bag in terms of his view of, of the church. And here we have the church in Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus was a, a real center, an epicenter of, of, of wealth and culture. It was a significant and influential city with an important church to match in that city. And he actually begins by commending this church for a number of things. Clearly, this is a church that does a few things really well that interestingly seem to matter to God. It's a bunch of Christians, a bunch of saints, believers, followers of Christ who persevere. It's a church that's known for its holiness. It's set apart, it's distinctive. It's um, not following the ways of the world and the values and the systems in the world. It, it, it loves sound doctrine, theology. Doctrine is important. It's a hard-working church. And so here are a few things which Jesus commends this church, Ephesus, for. Clearly, it is a faithful church. And actually, if we look at the, kind of imagine the top trumps card, what is number one Jesus looking for in his church? It is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Sometimes it's just about showing up. Just turning up. Just being faithful in season, out of season, day in, day out. So I want you to think about Jesus. Jesus the ascended, resurrected Lord and King from this control room in the universe. And this Christ, who's both sitting, the right hand of the Father, from his finished, complete work from the cross, and yet he is also standing as he lives to intercede for you and I. What is the starting point for all of our prayer life? It is that Jesus is praying for us. If we start there, you'll get off to a strong start. Jesus is interceding as a high priest for us. And Jesus, by his spirit, is among us and in us, and he will come again. And this Jesus, where sometimes we may ask the question, is, is this whole Christian thing worth it? Is it, is it worth going through the, often the trials and the tests and the pain? But the better question is, is Christ worthy? And of course, later on in Revelation, it answers that. Yes, Jesus Christ is worthy, the only one worthy to open the scrolls and break the seals. He is the prophet, the priest, the king, and the coming judge. Jesus is worthy. So if you're having a bad day and you're struggling and you just say to yourself, and I really believe there's maybe one or two here tonight, you've come here thinking, is it really worth it? Change the question. Is he worthy? 
And if he's worthy of our everything, then actually, is it worth it? Pales into insignificance. Because you've found the one who is worthy of everything that you have in your life. And imagine this Jesus, he comes to Hull Vineyard Church and he comes to our family and he says, look, well done. I know you, I see you, but your school report, I know your work, your commitment to purity, to sound doctrine, to perseverance, tick, tick, tick. You aren't compromising in the culture, you aren't lazy. You've now gone to three services, you're adding ministries all the time, you're hard at it, you're working hard. You aren't just looking busy, you actually are busy. And so, in essence, you are dedicated, you are determined, and you are discerning. Whole vineyard, you are dedicated, determined, and discerning. But then he says this, yet I hold this against you. You know when the risen Lord Jesus says, yet I hold this against you? It's kind of like, all right, here we go. What do you have to say to the church? It's as though Jesus, like a doctor, gets his stethoscope out and says, hey, look, you look great on the outside, but as I listen to your heart and your lungs, something isn't right. And of course, to God, what matters most is not the outward appearance, but the inside of us. Our hearts matter most to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had that where you've gone to a nice restaurant only to find that the food isn't that good. You'd looked on TripAdvisor, you'd looked at the reports, and actually you went, and it's like, hmm, this isn't quite as good as what they told me. Or... And, and let's go for this as an illustration. You're on a Christian dating app. And uh, it all looks fantastic. Great CV. You know, they look amazing. And then you go meet them in a coffee shop. And it's like, wow, you look nothing like that photo of George Clooney <laughs> when I swiped right on Christian Tinder. <laughs> I have four kids. I'm cool. How do you think Joni met me? Now I'm joking. I was, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a joke. Um, so church, all this looks great and is great, but as I peer in, you have forsaken your first love. Jesus' perspective on this church is you have a problem. I mean, if you read about actually the church in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, his church in Ephesus, if you read some of the stuff in Acts 19 about Paul in Ephesus, you would think they haven't lost their love for Jesus. Acts 19, book of Ephesians, it looks like a phenomenal church. Miracles are happening. There is cultural impact. There's mission. Incredibly sound doctrine and theology. Ephesians, along with Romans, it's kind of like the pinnacle, the mountaintop of beautiful sound doctrine and theology. Wonderful summary of the gospel in those books. But something has diminished. Note the two F's in the letter. Jesus says this, forsaken and fallen. Forsaken and fallen. To forsake is to dismiss and send away. To forsake is to leave and drift, essentially from our first love. And of course, forsaking always leads to falling. 
And falling is a theme in the Bible. We have the fall from Adam and Eve. We have Satan falling like lightning. And so these followers of Jesus knew just how much they had been raised with Christ. That what does it mean to be fallen and far from him? And yet through the cross and the resurrection, we've been raised with Christ. We're now seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is what the book of Ephesians is all about. They understood about the depths and the height and the width of the love of God. They grasped the scale of things and that language. But they have forsaken and they have fallen. There are two antidotes to the two Fs and these are the two Rs. The goal is first love. So you can have the best church in the world. And yet actually when Christ looks at the church, he's looking for first love. And in order to get back to that place, and I love how Jesus always does this, he doesn't just leave us wandering. He's always given us the wisdom and the answer and the prescription how to get back to where we need to be. Two R's, remember and repent. Remember, think about when you first, for those of you who are followers of Christ, think about when you first gave your life to Jesus. It wasn't the most exhilarating, beautiful, powerful, life-changing moment. I met people today across the two services, people who have come to our church for the first time today telling us some of their story of how Christ has found them recently. Jesus is still in the business, the habit, daily. Over 100,000 people every single day around the world are finding faith in Christ. Sometimes we don't see it because we think of the Western world, but actually in other parts of the world it's happening at a ridiculous pace. And we need to pray that tsunami of salvation happens on our watch in our time here in Hull. I had actually an email just this afternoon of a prophetic word. Someone had come to our church recently just to one of our prayer meetings about a coming revival that we were going to be instrumental in as a church. But remember the zeal. Before Christmas, I took my uh, five-year-old daughter to the cathedral in West Yorkshire where I gave my life to Christ when I was eight years old. I took her in there and I sat with her and I said, this was the moment God got a hold of my life. I said, do you want the same thing for you? And I, I asked my daughter, Elsie, most days if she'd like to give her life to Christ. And of course... It's yes most days because she just wants to do what dad has asked her to do and she knows where the treats come from. But I believe in always asking that question because it's the most important question I can ask her. I remember the zeal, the fervor, the radical obedience, how I told my story, shared the gospel, it was maybe a bit misplaced, a bit misguided, but I remember telling all my friends at school that unless you give your life to Christ, you will have an eternity apart from him. Because I longed to see them come 
to know him. I remember one time going into the classroom and I told a couple of my friends how I'd had an encounter with God and that I'd fallen on the floor under the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. I was about 11. And they started to spread rumors about me in the class. John's gone weird. (laughs) Actually, it led to someone punching me in the face. And yet those things you don't mind because there's a reality. God is so real. He's more real than the air that we breathe. He's more real than the people around you. And so you pray and you read the Bible. You turn up to every meeting. You get asked to do something at church. And like you fast for three days just to do the announcements. I want to get it right. There's an urgency. And your love for Jesus overflows in obedience because to love is to obey. You can't love Christ without obeying him. There's no such thing. Love isn't a feeling. Ask those who've been married for many years. Love is agape love. It is a choice to sacrificially put the other person before you all the days of your life. That is what you sign up for. For those of you who are single want to be married, that's what you're signing up for. And actually to remember is something we don't do because we're culturally conditioned where we forget so much. Because of the busyness of life, the pace of life, because we're consuming so much in terms of social media use, the internet, the chaos of life, is that actually when was the last time we pressed the pause button and we just remembered, sat down and remembered. So remember, and then, once you've remembered, repent. Don't remember like, oh, I remember the good old days. There's enough of that happening in church. People tell me, I remember when it was the 80s. God was moving in this way and that way. This morning is interesting, as we start this new venture. uh, It was hidden clearly in a book that I've not read in a while. It must have been like... Amos or something like that and I found this card that I must have written some time ago and I love how Jesus always speaks to you just when you need it so number one the best is yet to come and number two feed my sheep and they were the two things that God wanted to say to me and to us feed my sheep faithfully with God's word and I'll do the rest but the best is yet to come and so yeah I've had some great times But you know what? These are our best days. Right now, these are our best days. And so remember and repent. Not remember and judge others. We think about people who've just come to faith and they're like eager and passionate and zealous. And we're like, oh, you know, they just need to calm down. They're so naive at this early stage of their Christian walk. No, we need to repent of that attitude and we need to remember and repent. Repenting is is this, it's more than contrition, more than coming to God with a heavy heart and saying, Lord, forgive me and I'm sorry, but actually it's about changing our mind, changing direction and actually go back and do the things we did at first. So if there was a time when you were more in love with Jesus and more fire for Jesus and you remember a bunch of things that was happening in that moment, you need to go back and do those things. 
Maybe it had something to do with being in the Bible regularly. Maybe it has something to do with prayer. Maybe it has something to do with fellowship with other Christians. Maybe it has something to do with serving the marginalized. Maybe it had something to do with sharing the gospel. Maybe it had something to do with living life in your sweet spot and soaring with your strengths and just knowing that, hey, when I do this, the gifts that God has given me, this is what I was meant to do. We can't live life on autopilot or by default, but actually by design. And so we need to go back and do the things that we did at first to guard the fire, tend to the fire, because every day there are threats, temptations to that fire to be put out through doubt, disappointment, discouragement, distraction. It all leads to drifting. And when you drift, ultimately it leads to drowning. St. Paul said this, examine yourself to see if you are still in the faith. The writer to the Hebrews says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away and warns those who abandon God's word for sin and disobedience of judgment. And tragically, many do abandon God's word. Many who have once tasted of the powers of the age to come, the coming kingdom, the grace of God in the gift of the spirit end up rejecting it. And so actually, uh, self-scrutiny is not some kind of form of narcissistic self-love. Examining yourself as to whether you're still in the faith is a biblical process for us to do. The Bible is very clear. We don't earn our salvation, but we work out our salvation. We work it out with fear and trembling. So I want to encourage us all, as individuals, corporately, this begins with me, is that we need to recalibrate, maybe redirected, maybe, uh, how many of you, who prefers good old fashioned maps? Put your hands up for finding where to go. And who likes sat-nav? Okay, we're in the age of sat-nav. Often you go on a sat-nav and you go in one direction and then maybe you find yourself lost and it helps you find your way back. The word of God, the voice of Christ is beckoning us to maybe come back. Maybe you need to just go back to where you began and start the journey afresh. So the encouragement here by Jesus to the church in Ephesus and indeed to us is to remember our former position and to repent of our current condition. And you know, I found many, many people, many followers of Christ over the years who, the reality is, is they don't just wake up one day and go, I've, I'm done with this. Actually, people drift incrementally. Small, subtle steps as we drift away from God. Generally, they stop reading their Bible, they stop praying, stop meeting together for worship, begin to entertain thoughts and actions that they once would have resisted or repented of previously. I think one of the most telling signs of one who is maturing in Christ in these things is that we keep short accounts with the Lord and with people. Josh Josh and I have talked about this recently, about you know um, when you have messed up and you've made a mistake, and, and it may not be obvious to other people, but you know in your heart of hearts that a line has been crossed It's important to confess your sin to God, but also to people. 
happened to me recently. There was something that really bothered me. And to many, it would be, it's like nothing. It's not even a sin. But the Lord convicted me. I must have rung about 10 people. I said, I need to confess my sin. That I stand strong on my own sin. I'm tough on my own sin. And we're gracious towards others. I think it's important that we do that. I'm believing for coming days of revival where if you look at the revival in the 70s of the Solomon Island revivals is that their church meetings were just taken up with people one by one repenting of their sin publicly. Maybe how they treated their spouse, how they treated their children, maybe how they lacked integrity at work, how they've lost their first love, whatever it is, with tears down their cheeks publicly repent of sin and then the Holy Spirit bringing wave after wave of conviction and through conviction consecration where we say yeah let's go again because to be and have first love with Jesus is the best place to be so why do you stand thank you for listening to the whole vineyard podcast we would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church to find out more go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.